Hi, this is George Thorgood. Hey, this is Pat Travers. Hey, this is Steve Lukather of Toto. Hey, this is Ryan. Hey, this is Chuck. We're in Black Top Mojo, and you're listening to Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. All right, everybody, welcome to Guitar Talk. My name is Jimmy Warren. I want to thank you so much for tuning in again today to this bonus edition of Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. Before I get into it, I want to let you know that you can now support Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren on Patreon. That's right. Go to Patreon forward slash Guitar Talk. That's it. Patreon.com forward slash Guitar Talk. That's us right there. And uh, you can help support us on a monthly basis anywhere from $5 a month up to $20 a month. Uh, And there's of course, there's some really cool things that you get with each individual package. You know, some things are as, as cool as the opportunity to do a monthly Zoom chat with me where we can talk about, you know, your own playing or your own band or your favorite artist. Or we can talk about whatever you want, man. We can, you know, talk about grilled cheese sandwiches and fly fishing and, you know, all that other really cool stuff that's out there. We can talk about whatever you want. But anyway... Support us on Patreon, please. It helps to keep us uh, going and it keeps us in the guests that we have. Because, man, as you know, we've got some pretty amazing people uh, that are participating in Guitar Talk. And then also, too, we've launched our new uh, Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren YouTube channel. Uh, All the videos and interviews going forward are on there. Uh, All the archived ones from 2020 are beginning to appear And also, you're going to see uh, a lot of product reviews, gear demos and reviews that are going to be coming down the road. As a matter of fact, I got one that I'm about to release in a couple of days on the Blue Bear Overdrive by Vex Audio. Man, there's so much cool gear out there. You know, you just got to play around, you know, in this product right here, this, this overdrive, from what I've seen, you know, Seems to be pretty cool, and it's reasonably priced, and we're going to talk about all that. So you're going to want to go to Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren on YouTube and subscribe, okay? All right, so today, you know what? I want to do something a little bit different because, you know, uh, I did Frank Marino in the middle of the week, and then on Friday I did uh, Blacktop Mojo in the uh, Georgia Thunderbolts. So today I wanted to bring it round and uh, bring it into maybe a little jazz fusion kind of situation. And so I've got one of the top players in New York City for uh, fusion and jazz. Now, he's a lot more than that, of course, far more than just a jazz player. But, you know, if you got to put a label on him, which I hate doing, that's the one we're going to put. We're going to say fusion jazz, but he's a cool guy, man. Great, great player, Uh, really knows the guitar in and out. I mean, he's uh, an informed guy. And we're talking about Gideon King. Gideon King, yeah. So I think the name of his band is Gideon King and City Blog. Right, which is really cool, really cool. Now, you're going to enjoy this conversation because this conversation goes in the guitar pretty good. And uh, like I said, he's well-versed. So, you know, without further ado, right, Adieu, Gideon King. Here we go. Hey, Gideon. Hey, 
Jimmy, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. You? Man, just roaming around New York City, trying to get shit done. <laughs> okay. Is there still roaming around New York City? Are you guys aren't shut down or anything out there? Yeah, you know, it's um. Actually, you'd be surprised. It's still pretty. It's still pretty vibrant, but it's definitely um. It definitely ain't what it used to be, man. They've, they've you know, a yeah. lot of businesses have shut down and. The look on people's face, to the extent you can see it behind their masks, is definitely a little different than um, than it used to be. But I'm hoping I'm hoping there's a vaccine or some antibody or something in the next five months, so this city just doesn't go to total hell. Yeah, yeah. Well, same with Chicago, man. Same with Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Chicago is the same way, and we just entered a new, you know, <clears throat> shutdown period. I know. My son's yeah. out there. My son goes to school out there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you know where where you live. Where I, are you located? I'm about 45 minutes south of the city. Uh, where where at? Uh, Bourbon A. Oh, I know where that is. Yeah, I know where that is. Yeah, I can't I can't do the city. You know, there's just no way I could live there. <laughs> yeah, I don't. You know, it's funny. I I tell you what. I grew up. I was born and raised in New York City, and then, um, you know, it's funny when September 11th happened. Um, it changed my whole feeling about the city, and it was like. I don't know, something really changed for me about it. But uh, because of food and because of music, I still am, you know, I still have a lot of New York City in my bloodstream, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I completely understand it because uh, in my early days of playing, it's like, you know, I, I should have been living in the city because I was there enough to really be a resident in that. But uh, right, right. I don't know, man. I, I just... I I really enjoy living in a smaller community where you don't have the traffic and. Oh man, I agree know. with you. Listen, I listen. To be honest with you, I spend most of my time uh, two hours outside New York City on the middle of a farm. If you want to know the truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's where my music studio is, and that's where I write most of my music, and and uh, that's where I'm out in the woods. And I'm a big, you know, one of my big hobbies is woodworking and making cabinets and stuff like that. So, you know, that's all out there for me. The thing about the city for me is just how full of shit people are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it yeah. is. It's a different way of life. I mean, it just sure. is, man. That, that's one of the reasons, you know, I, I used to have a, a home in California in Laguna beach and I spent a lot of time out there because I used to work in television. Mm-hmm. And um, but I have a hard time, you know. I, I I couldn't live there full time, you know. I couldn't, you know, be in Orange County or around LA and I hear you, man. Full time. I, I don't know. I don't know. We used to live in Walden, Colorado, which population five hundred. I love Colorado. Yeah. I, I think if I moved out of New York and New York State altogether, I'd probably do Montana, Colorado, or Wyoming. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Those are all beautiful places in that. But uh-huh. it, there's not a vibrant jazz scene <laughs> in Wyoming. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's not jazz. There isn't even fusion. There isn't any, you know, right. any of the things that that uh, I play. I mean, I guess I'm more of a fusion guitar player. Really, I mean, well, rock, fusion, jazz, anything really. But, yeah. but, um, but, yeah, man. Well, listen. I'm happy to get started and do, you know, let you. However, you want to run the show. Let me know. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, we're doing it. Cool. <laughs> You, you know, I, I like to, you know, as opposed to just ask a bunch of interview questions and that, it's so much easier just to have a conversation, you know, and let it flow through all those different areas and that. But one of the things that I do like to know 
from different players is, you know, what was the main influence to make you want to pick up the instrument in the first place? Oh, man. You know what? When I was a little kid, my brother was a real prodigy um, jazz piano player, and I was around that growing up, and I heard him imitating all the all the sort of post Charlie Parker jazz guys like McCoy Tyner and, and Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea and Bill Evans. And, and it was just, just like, it was like this UFO that was in the other room. <laughs> and, and it was like this phrasing and this complexity. And I was kind of, it, it, it was sort of, it was sort of like sort of something I didn't even understand. I knew I liked it. And in, t- you know, I knew that, I knew that it spoke to me, and I knew that it uh, it got my bloodstream going. But by the same token, it was it was physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, and intellectually a UFO. And then, uh, for one reason or other, it was I think it was my brother's guitar. There was a beat up old acoustic in the apartment, and I was a little kid, and I just picked up this thing and I hit the strings and. And I just felt this box of wood resonating uh, under me. And I thought to myself, that's pretty cool. And I just started playing these little like weird chromatic lines. And the reason I started playing these weird little chromatic lines is because, you know, there's a lot of chromaticisms in jazz, of course. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I was hearing my brother play all the time. So I was just sort of going up and down by half steps and thinking, this is kind of cool. I'm sort of making music. Um, and then, you know, like so many, uh, like so many people who just sort of pick up guitar, or, you know, back then there were just books and you could look up chords and play and play old man by Neil Young or, or, uh, or, you know, some folk song. I started doing that. And then I started sort of playing some lines and, and it just, it started just flowing almost like a, uh, kind of like a sea of mathematical ideas for me, it just started flowing for me. And, uh, before you know it, I taught myself a fair amount, and then I did. I never was formally trained, never went to Berkeley or this or that. But, you know, between having a few lessons from some great jazz guys at the city and uh, the Internet and uh, the ability to really access the entire curriculum of any music school, really, almost online, mm-hmm. uh, that that's what I did and just started going crazy and just playing and playing and playing. And that's what really turned me on to the whole idea of uh, the guitar, and the guitar was also an instrument that uh, sat at the intersection for me of many things I liked. On the one hand, you know, probably my biggest influence ever is Steely Dan. There's so many great guitar solos in Steely Dan, and then I heard Wes Montgomery in the background, my brother, and um, and then of course in college I discovered John Schofield, and John Schofield was this like unbelievable intersection, to use that word again between jazz and, and, and sonically rock and roll and, and, you know, you know, um, harmonic complexities and being playing out and playing kind of weird, being quirky. And that was when it was just the, the floodgates just opened. I saw him one night in uh, Ravinia. Um, sorry, no, that was Pat Metheny. I saw him at the Cubby Bear Club in Chicago okay. and, and, and it just changed my mind, it just changed, changed my life because I was like, holy shit, I want to play like that guy. Um, and then after discovering in a very short period of time that I couldn't play like him, I started to sort of individuate on, uh, musically, uh, you know, with my own style and so on. But yeah, man, that's kind of how it rolled out, you know? 
Yeah, well, those are some uh, those are some great influences, you know, uh, especially when you reference the whole Steely Dan thing because you know it's there's just not one player there. There oh, is, man. you know, it's a plethora. Of, man, they of had man, they had players. Steve. Yeah, man, they had Steve Kahn, they had Larry Coryell. Um, I mean, they just had some. They had Dennis Dias, who nobody's even heard of, but it was a killer player. And then, of course, Walter played some guitar. Unfortunately, Walter passed away, but he played some guitar. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just influenced by so many guitar players. Neil Young, the guys in Sealy Dan, Richie Havens, the way he used to strum. Of course, Jimi Hendrix, uh, believe it or not, Really influenced by the way Neil Young, that heavy, I've seen him live a few times, and that heavy, deep strumming um, that Neil could achieve. And then, you know, finger-picking style of guys like James. I mean, man, we could do 60 hours of podcast just on all these different guitar players. <laughs> and, and I have. Yeah, and you have, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. I have. No, it, it, you know, it's always cool to hear the influence uh, of other players, you know, and uh, what's even cooler though is when you can say, "Okay, this is the guy that influenced me," and then at some point in time, you have the opportunity to interact with that person. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I played with yeah, Schofield and I have done some recordings together, um, and uh, that was really cool. Yeah, um, he's really. Um, what I like about him is there's a lack of neurosis in his playing. He sort of lays it out and says, "Yeah, well." That's I kind of just played it, you know, and you're like, well, you know, well, we could do this or we could overdub that or we could make it. It's like, nah, I just kind of played it and it is what it is. Um, and, I, you know, that's refreshing because we're living in, in a world of digital perfection where every piece of music is um, is so dialed in and so quantized yeah. that that it, that, it, you know, human imperfections are have been stamped out. Yeah. 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 You know, that's something that I've always tried to do personally in my own playing. You know, I, I was in the studio in uh, late 2019 with Walter Trout's band oh. and, uh, and I made, I it was, it was a focus to just let it be what it is and to not, you know, overproduce it or, you know, try to make, you know, every note in place and everything perfect. And you know what I mean? Because for me, I, I, I love that, that, that raw, uh, that rawness of, of live music, you yeah. know, and I love to hear that on a, on a recording too, you know, I do too, but you know, it, it, the thing is, man, it reminds me of inlays on guitar. If you bought a guitar from a great luthier 20, years ago and you looked at the dots on the markers you would see that they would make the hole put the ivory or whatever is in there and then there would be a little sawdust and that they would use to fill in if it wasn't a perfect inlay mm. and as time went on guitar buyers and people in guitar shops and and production guitars it, it sort of it sort of pulled everyone towards the idea I should say differently. It pulled everyone towards the expectation that everything had to be completely perfect. Yeah. And so now when you look at inlay work, even on Luthiers, you know, it's, man, it's picture perfect. It's dialed in by a CNC machine. And so the same goes for music. It's like there's not much, there really isn't any tolerance 
people would rather have it be fake, fake perfection than real imperfection. Um, and, and that is, that is, that's a struggle for me because I would like to have the open architecture of people playing solos and doing stuff on the music I produce and, and write on the other hand, you know, most people will say, huh, what is that? I just heard, I think I heard a little something there. Yeah. And, uh, so it's, it's a struggle because we're, we've been trending towards the, you know, the perfect. Um, and if you don't produce that way, you may just come off sounding like you don't know what the fuck it is you're doing. Right. Right. Yeah. I guess, I guess that's a point, but you know, I, I just, I don't know. I just love the rawness of it. You know, I do, too, man. I do. I, I can't even tell you how many times, and I'm sure you have too, you know, seen somebody play live and just go, Oh my God, what just happened there? But, it's, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, I, I'm not necessarily talking about keeping that kind of, you know, flaw in there, of course, you know, like starting out right. a key or, you right, know, right. or, or right. playing. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. You know and, you know, and, you know, it's like what Miles Davis said. It's, you know, it's all about the attitude of, yeah. of how you're playing more than it is yeah. being perfect. And I, I, I believe that, particularly live performance. Yeah. It's about the attitude. You know, I mean, I guess I have a little more room in my heart for the quest for perfection sonically in recordings because I'm so influenced by Steely Dan, who obviously were just, you know, crazy perfectionists in the right. studio. Crazy, crazy. And I like to go for that sonic perfection and purity in the studio. But live, it's about the attitude. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's you know, the attitude is everything live. A few mistakes. Nobody's going to stop drinking their beer and, 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 and bobbing their head and listening to the music just because you made a tiny mistake. But they will lose lose interest if you look bored or you're not engaging up there. Exactly. So uh, so with with that being said, when you're in the studio and you're you know, when you're writing music and you're playing music and you do a recording, it's one way. And so when you go to play that live, do you play the same exact version or would you say that you play a, uh, a concert performance of that version? 95% of the time, what we play live is some kind of rearrangement yeah. of what happened. One, you know what? It's just so weird. You can do so many things in the studio to bring uh, sort of roundness to the music and to bring dimensionality if there's such a word dimension i should say to the music um and you can't do that live as much so we try and rejigger it we might even speed things up we might even uh you know we might even have a longer solo section um we might uh you know we might um hit harder than we normally do and for sure we're very wary of the boredom factor in the studio producing a piece of music for a spot for you know streaming on spotify mm -hmm. things that you do there that are not boring may very well be boring live yeah. so you kind of want to go in like a surgeon and, and sort of excise the the boring shit out yeah. um and in the studio you can do layers and layers and layers and layers and live you can't no. so again again you just want to emphasize the looseness and the attitude and hopefully transmit that you're enjoying it, <laughs> just having fun. Yeah. And so when you're in the in the studio, because I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that you're not a risk taker in the studio. You're somebody that really thoughtfully plans and prepares and executes. But when you're live, 
you know, are you uh, a player that, you know, will take some risks, maybe? Huge risk. I, in yeah. fact, I will often play introductions to tunes on guitar, solos that the band doesn't even know is coming and was never discussed before. Yeah. And, and, and it's good because when you do things that surprise people, they engage and they start paying attention and listening and being part of what's happening in a way that they wouldn't. If everybody knows exactly what's happening next, yeah, it might be flawless from an execution standpoint. But it, it might lack an, an element of humanity or surprise. Now, in the studio, we do like to dial things in pretty hardcore. That being said, when, when I bring a tune to the studio, it's really just music and chord, it's just the music, lyrics, chords, and then the crafting of the groove and background vocals or guitar solos. That really is all, that's a lot of that is created right in the studio. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a, I would describe, the way that we produce music in the studio is kind of a control, an exercise in controlled chaos. Mm. Whereas when we play live, I would say it's, um, it, it, it's, it's, I would say it's trends more towards uncontrolled chaos than controlled chaos. Yeah. So, so your process of, let's say, you know, doing a lead part or a solo part in a, in a song in the studio uh, is this something you map out beforehand and, you know, take a couple of stabs at it and, you know, which, which one comes out the best? Man, you... if it's a solo, if it's a guitar solo, man, you can play it live sometimes or, or you can do, man, you know, the thing about Pro Tools and Logic and the recording process is it, it the good news is it, it, it gives you second chances and the bad news is it gives you second chances. Right. Like, you know, when, when, when Ray Charles or Barbara Streisand or Stevie Ray or, or Jimi Hendrix walked into the studio, you know, they kind of had to get it right. At least, you know, not totally. You could obviously cut tape and, and, and put it back together. And, and of course there was a lot of mixing and editing, but there was a certain level of a, a certain standard that needed to be there performance wise. Because of Pro Tools and the fact that you literally just hit the space bar and, you know, start again and do a new freaking take, um, because of that, you can get, you can go insane and end up doing like, you know, 50 takes on one solo. Right. Um, and so, and then, you know, cutting and pacing. So like, I, I, I you know, in, in the studio, I don't prepare my solo. I don't prepare any of that before I get there. I just get in there and start laying it out. Um, and sometimes it comes out great in a few takes. And then sometimes it's just living hell. It's like a circus where you, you, you're like, Oh no, no, that's not cool. I can do better than that. And you know, it's kind of funny because when you listen to them back, sometimes you're like, you know what? That was all in my head. Most of them sounded kind of just like the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I like the, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a guy that, you know, even though I, I've per- personally, you know, released nine albums, I don't, I don't like the studio at all. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't like it at all. You know, I'm, I've always been a live player. I like to feed off the band and the audience and yeah. everything that's going on. And I like the, the creation in the moment, even though you got a structure of a song and that's what you're doing, but the creation of the moment and everybody kind of sure. having that conversation at that time is to me is magical. Yeah, I mean, you know? and there's and there's never anything like nothing achieves that as much as jazz. But yes, yeah. for sure, with the music that we play, with that Gideon King and City Blog plays, for sure, there's a lot of open architecture to it, and a lot of things happen. There's a lot of improvisation, and I, I know what you mean about the studio for a different reason. I have to say, I could play in front of a a pretty packed house of people, 
and not feel that nervous. But once I sit there with the headphones on in the studio yep. and I have like a cold metal microphone in front of me, it's like it's like my hands tighten up. I get nervous and I play like a piece of shit until I relax. <laughs> and, it take, and it takes me like and it takes me a whole bunch of times to relax. Yeah. And I'm always in awe of these people that just come into the studio and literally lay it out, lay it out like they were born to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've I have not mastered that, nor do I. I'm kind of thinking I may never master that. I've gotten better at it. But I'm less relaxed playing in front of a microphone with three other people in the studio than I am on stage with, you know, whatever, 1,000, 500, 300 people in front. You know what I mean? Right. So I know what you mean by the studio. It's, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful place for sure, but it's also, it's also a place you can, you, you know, you can grow to hate in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, always, I've always not looked forward to it. You know, I, I just don't look forward to it, but you I know, hear you, man. it is what it is, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I got to ask you a little bit about, you know, your gear, you know, uh -huh. what you kind of lean towards and that. Yeah. I'm kind of uh, curious as to, I, I'm going to guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to guess that you're a guy that plugs your guitar straight into an amp. Not always. It used to be like that. I've changed. Here's what's happened. Okay. For a while, I was really into tube amps. Couple pedals, you plug right in. Um, then I and I was just plugging directly in. And then for a while, like you say, and then for a while, I had I I, I had a big extensive pedal board. One of those things. It's like you know, just right. carrying it, just carrying it <laughs> is enough to ruin your day, you know. Yeah. And between the volume changes and, 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 and just the knobs turning and, and all the little technical problems, I sort of got me sort of aggravated to the point where I no longer trusted the process of the pedals being a reliable way to consistently make the sounds I wanted. Cause you know, you can literally put the pedals in, you know, and slip on one knob and, you know, yep. before you know it, it's like everything's different and then your switcher's no good. So, as sacrilegious as it sounds, and I know people have a love affair with vintage tube amps and, you know, which tube amp is better. I, I have all kinds of old tube amps and I have all kinds of amazing tube amps from Turok and Alessandro and, and, and so, but now I've switched and I think I've finally come to a place where I'm happy and it might be sacrilegious to you or to, to purists out there, but what I do now is I go from my guitar into a processor, whether it's a Fractal uh, or it's a Helix, and I come out of that modeler processor into a flat frequency response monitor like a Friedman or a Helix Line 6. And I have found that if you're willing to spend the time with a Fractal Audio or a Kemper or a Helix and do the plugins and do all the simulations – we are finally there where you can get a fully amp sounding sound, have all the flexibility and consistency, have an entire pedal board and all kinds of presets. Now you have to spend hundreds of hours dialing these things in because when you start out, the presets are kind of cheesy and you got to work them and you have to build your own presets. But I'm finally at the point where the most reliable tone, the most consistent tone, the safest tone, um, and, and frankly, the most beautiful shit even from from the standpoint of reverb and and all of myriad of effects you can achieve with things like the helix line six and and go into a flat frequency response monitor now 
I know a lot of people say, oh man, tube amps, you know, nothing will replace a tube amp. It's just, it's just, just not true anymore. Yeah. With the right, with the right modeling, unfortunately, you can do it. It's almost like the triggering software for piano now. It's like grand pianos are amazing and they feel amazing, but those triggering softwares, they're triggering real sounds. They're triggering the, triggering the actual sounds of piano. So we are at a point where that stuff works and it works really well. So that's what I do. I have a, a number of, you know, Luthier built guitars. And I end up going into my Helix. I also have an interface MIDI-wise with a with a, uh, a guitar synth, and then I go out into a flat frequency response monitor. And I uh, I gotta say, the flexibility, the accuracy, and the ability to dial in the tone—it's the way to. For me, it's I've arrived. Like it's the way to go for me. Yeah. Well, you're you're not the only one. You know, there's a lot of people I know personally. I have some of some of that gear myself. Right. And uh, when I record and, you know, when I'm just at home in my own studio and I'm recording, I'm usually going through something like that. Well, I got a fractal and a Kempter, but I also use the UA plugins. Oh, you lot. do? Yeah. Yeah, because I, you know, because I, I like Foosh amps and, you know, they have them, you know, in there and they got some yep. plexis and some fenders and stuff like that. Yeah, man. Yeah. So it's all there. But I know a lot of guys that are, are actually there, actually when you get into the uh, uh, into some of the hard rock bands, to give you for instance, I don't know if you're familiar with a hard rock band called Blacktop Mojo. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they use Kempers on stage. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, that's that's all they use. They they preset all their stuff and they do everything through a Kemper. And I was like, I was kind of shocked. I was like, you know, because you know, in certain types of music, you're exactly right. You know, it's like it's a it's a Marshall or it's a Friedman or it's yeah. Whatever it is, and uh, and that's that. And I know a lot of guys don't use, pe- use a lot of pedals and stuff, but uh, I'd never run across a band like them that was using, you know, some sort of modeler. Well, what happened? What happened with me is I went and saw at the Jazz Standard in New York. I saw Kurt Rosenwinkel play, who's one of my favorite jazz guitar players, and and uh, he was playing through a Helix and singing along. While I was, and I was like, man, he's getting between his semi-hollow body that he was playing. He was playing a D'Angelico, I think, semi-hollow body, and I was saying between that and between his Helix, he's getting fucking beautiful tone, yeah. and with all kinds of. You know, some 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 very reverby wet stuff, some dry, and I was like, I got to go check that out. And when I got the Helix back in my apartment, I started playing with it. I was like, this thing sucks. I was like, it's cheesy, it doesn't work. And then when I started to play with it and really dial it in, I was like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. And I, you know, I felt the same. I felt I feel it's a little easier to use than the Fractal, so I use the Helix on stage. And 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 now. I think I've become pretty good at it. And with the plugins for, for, for cab simulators, man, you're right there. There's a billion little settings. You can adjust what microphones on the, on the, on the, on the cab, how close it is to the cab, how far it is. There's, you know, all kinds of, of capabilities of high and low cuts. And dude, it's just so much flexibility. And the good news is if you drop it or if it gets stolen, you've backed it up on your computer you you go and you can go buy another one and just download it off your computer and i just think it's beautiful authentic sounds you can get out of it now you know and and, and i think you know man i think this that that's the way the world is really going so yeah well like i said there's a there's there is a lot of guys i think one of the guitars for the doobie brothers he's using nothing but helix now yeah you know he's, oh, yeah. he's even oh, using yeah. the variax guitar you know yeah, yeah. Is, which i actually used in the studio on my 
my last album. I used the right. Variax. What, by the way, what you by, by the way, what do you think of the Variax? I had mixed feelings when I played. What's your feeling? You know, I I like the feel of it because you know I've always been a Strat player. Oh, okay, know, there so, you go. So I like the feel of it. Uh, some of the sounds, you know, I, I I you know I don't think they compare to the to the actual guitar, but there was right. there was some on there that definitely were really really nice. Right, 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 right. So, yeah. Yeah, I should experiment with it, but I'm, I have a lot of different guitars, and, and yeah. so I, you know, but, but yeah, no, totally. It's uh, more and more people are doing that. Yeah, so. it's not something that I think that I would play out, you know, but I would definitely use in the studio or take to a rehearsal, you know, for a show, and rather than bring, you know, a couple of guitars or something like that, you know, and yep. be able to switch. I hear you. I hear you, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. And, you know, even, even some of the amp makers now, are making uh, the amp so that they have a uh, platform for guys for sure. that are using, you know, the Helix and so forth. Like uh, the Quilter, for instance. Uh, Quilter just came out with a Pro Block. It's a 200 watt. Right. You know, I saw it. Solid, but it's got a it's got a, a setting on there. So if you're using, uh, you know, one of those things, you can get that flat response. You know what I mean? That totally, and and even yeah. on the line six flat flat frequency response monitor, like like even that has all the monitor itself has all kinds of simulators on it, thirty six yeah. of them. Now I don't use any of them; I just use it to transfer the sound, and I use I do all the modeling and processing inside the box of the Helix. Um, so you know, and I and, you know Helix is different than Fractal, and Fractal is different than Kemper. I yeah. wound up with the Helix for a variety of reasons. I do like the user friendly nature of it, and I right. do like. I do like I do like that it's a real floor model, and I do like that uh, I think the effects are amazing, maybe better than the other ones. Yeah, and, and the beauty, of course, is you can just plug it into your computer and you can just dial everything in right there. Exactly, man. Exactly, and it sounds yeah, and I can I can do all different types of presets with all my different guitars and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still, you know, I'm still one of those guys. Even though I have some of that stuff, I I can't get past the the pedals and the in <laughs> the amps. Well, there's an immediate. I mean, listen, there's an immediacy. Yeah. And there's a purity to playing through the pedals and directly into the amp that that isn't there when you use these other things. You can dial it in and you can get there. Right. But there's a beautiful immediacy to the pedals but you know fuck i mean after a while the knob turns and then you're yeah. you know you're carrying them around and there's a hundred little cords going from one place to the other and i you know i had some pretty crazy extensive pedal boards and um in the end they turned out to be more pain and hardship for me than yeah. than ever really sat you know feeling like i i was satisfied but you know tone man tone is what drives us all insane so yeah. There's some there's some really top pro players that uh, are in you know uh, like one of the guys I know in White Snake he uh, he doesn't use any pedals at all you know he goes straight into a Friedman goes straight into a Friedman amp and he's got you know he's got a um, a delay processor that you know's backstage that his tech's operating that you know just gives him some fullness and stuff like that, you know, on lead sounds and, and stuff. But right. they don't travel with any of that stuff because of all the things that you talked about. You know, anything could go wrong. Yep. And uh, they don't want to take the risk of anything. So how does he, so how does he, so how does he distort it? He just, he just uses drive? Yeah, well, um, yeah, he's using, I, I don't know if he's using the runt or which Friedman he's using, but 
I have oh. a Dirty Shirley. I have a Friedman Dirty Shirley, and I tell you what, those those are high gain amps. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. those are beasts, man. Yeah, they're high gain amps. And, oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. You know who? Of... You know who makes amazing amps? Amazing. Uh, have you ever checked out Alessandro amps, George Alessandro? No, I have not. Dude, crazy amps, beautiful stuff. Um, really, really beautiful custom tube amps. I have, I have a bunch of those. He'll make you what you want to, two inputs. You can split signals. He can do all kinds of cool stuff. And, uh, so really worth checking him out. Yeah. I'm going to have to check him out because I, you know, I, I use either a two rock myself or a Foosh. I've got a cool. couple, a couple of different Fooshes and, you know, yeah, cool. man, you should do a podcast with Alessandro just because. You know, he's just a tone junkie, and he's and he knows so much about tube amps, and it'd be interesting to hear his perspective on tube amps versus what's happening now, and and, and yeah. all that. You know. Well, I'm gonna check well, him out. What's okay. your favorite? What's your favorite guitar? What do you like? What's your what's your what's the what, what you know? What do you like to play through? Which guitars? Well, uh, like I said, I was a, a Fender guy for a long time, and uh, but last year I bought my first uh, Japanese Ibanez Prestige. Ah. And, um, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a rock guy by any means. You know, I, I grew up playing blues, you know, from Chicago. Right. right. You know, but, uh, you know, and I own, you know, like a lot of guitar players, I don't know how many guitars. I probably got 60 or 70 guitars. <laughs> and, I'm, I'm not where you're at, but I, I'm not going to lie. I have 25 to 30. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is more than enough. But, you know, when I switched to, to this Ibanez. Be, be honest. Be honest. Now I'm doing. The, listen to me. I'm I'm taking over. I'm like the interviewer now. Okay, but right. but be 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 honest. Fuck it. Now be honest. Well, how many of those thirty? Do you, how many of those sixty guitars do you play regularly? Six. Oh no, no. I would I would probably say every day I probably pay, play between twelve and twenty of them. Wow. Yeah, I pick them up. I I have one in my hand constantly throughout the day. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. I would say, okay, so here's my, well, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, you're good. So here's my story with guitars. I, um, I guess I've, well, I fell in love with the, uh, with the concept of working with luthiers and, and I never know whether to say luthier or luthier, but whatever, you'll accept it either way. Yep. Um, but like, uh, calling up a guitar maker and, discussing it the wood the, the tuners the bridge the five-way three-way switch push pull buttons the whole right. you know the whole thing like it's such a like personal thing for me that i just became like a fucking drug addict with yeah. respect to that where like you know there's there's a great luthier i've worked a lot with named john buscarino who makes amazing semi-hollow bodies now i've been working with this guy uh, uh steven marchioni who makes some. Um, you know, solid bodies and very thin semi-hollow bodies that are beautiful. For my classicals, I work with a guy named Dave Tra Traphagen, who is awesome. And I've tried everybody, Froggy, Froggy Bottom, Jim Redgate. I've recently been toying with the idea of getting a Mayonis guitar. I do have one of the very first models of a Paul Reed Smith. And I remember I was in a store in Evanston, Illinois, called Flynn Guitars. Yep. And I don't know if you remember those guys. And yep. I was there, and I was really young. And I went up, I played this one guitar, I said, wow, it feels really, really good. And the guy was like, oh, 
this is going to be a huge guitar maker one day. And I was like, really, who is it? And he goes, Paul Reed Smith. And I was like, I never heard of it. And, and he said, trust me, it's going to, and I was thinking, you know, just another bullshit salesman trying to sell me something. And, uh, before I knew it, I bought the, you know, I called my mother on the phone. I was like, can I spend, you know, $1,100 on this guitar, blah, blah, blah. She was like, no, she was like, no, absolutely not. So then I, you know, I went and I like worked at the library and then uh, she called me. She's like, okay, fine. I'll split it with you. If you make the rest. And, and, uh, I ended up buying this Paul Reed Smith and, uh, and I still have that to this day and still play it. So, but I did eventually just move into working with Luthiers and I, I yeah. just, I'm an, I'm like an addict, you know, I have baritone guitars made by them and so I have a 13 string sort of almost Picasso type guitar, the type of thing Pat Metheny plays, which I play all the time. And, um, I don't know, man, there's something about working with a guitar maker himself or herself that really, uh, it's just really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually worked with a guy it's in New York. Uh, his name's Jim Malozo. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. and he had uh, he made a guitar. His brand was called Nikita, and then eventually, yeah. he eventually morphed into uh, making another line called Rat Rods, which the, yeah. the look of the guitar was like an old Rat Rod kind of car, you know? Right, right, but, right, uh, right. I played right. his stuff for a long time. Back when I used to tour... You know, and, and and do my own thing and stuff. When I was on the label, it, uh, you know, I had a signature. But but even at that point in time, you know, being endorsed by like EMG and Spurzel and Graph Tech and you know yeah. all these other different companies, you know, you were pretty much bound to use, you know, their stuff for the most part, and and you know, especially in your signature type model guitar. Oh yeah, but um, for yeah, sure. I, I'm I, just I'm just nervous at guitar playing. And guitar solos are just a thing of the past yeah. in music, in popular music. You know, I mean, it's just like, how often do you turn on, like, you know, um, a top 40, you know, how often do you turn on the radio and hear, like, someone just play a guitar solo the way Peter Frampton did or the way, yeah. even though John Mayer did, even John Mayer's music sounds old-fashioned now because there's guitar solos in it. And, and, it, and it's just, I don't know, it's kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah, but you, you know what? At at the uh, you know the underlying of of music, there is a whole bunch of new bands, and especially in the rock, in the southern rock kind of uh, genres of music. There's a whole bunch of new bands that are up and coming that that have that old that old. That's true. Yeah, they they do. As a matter of fact, I actually made it a point to, and I ha just had this conversation yesterday with a young man named Blake Allard. Who's in one of those bands? It's called Joyous Wolf. They're in, <laughs> they're in California and they're you know an up and coming rock band in that, which was really cool. You know, here you got a young guy who's playing a Gretsch, which you never see. You know, you never see a young rock guitar player playing a Gretsch guitar. You know? God no! It didn't have, was it is a Gretsch? It had a big like a, it had the Bigsby on it and everything. No, no, it didn't have a Bigsby on it. It was like I think it was like the airliner or they called oh, Jetstream yeah, 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 or yeah, something yeah. like that. Right. But anyway, there's there's a whole underlying, you know, a list of bands that, you know, the Georgia Thunderbolts, Magnolia, yep. Bayou, uh, Them Dirty Roses. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of them that are coming because I feel the same way you do. It's like they're hit. We hit a period of time and it's like the guitar went away or or, or some of those young players tell me, well, no, the guitar didn't go away. It was just being used differently. 
Okay. That's true. It was being used for sort of just sonic background, more rhythm and stuff. Yeah. But I don't know. It just kind of makes me sad. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. But but I hear what you're saying. But I would push back for sure. There are uh, there are bands and there are guitar solos and there for sure, of course. Yeah. But you know, it's not in mainstream pop or rock. Yeah, music it's, you know, it's yeah. like it's like you know the epic. I'm trying to think like what are the epic solo? Okay, like like you know, do you feel like like I do the Peter Frampton yeah. solo? You know that one, and he's ripping it and 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 so on. It's just like man, that's kind of uh, that kind of thing is you know gone. I hope I hope. You know, I hope somehow it comes back or in some form it comes back. But it's just, I don't know, it was, you know, last year I went, and or maybe it was the beginning of this year, who the hell knows, before COVID, I went and saw the Eagles at uh, Madison Square Garden. And it was just nice to see Joe Walsh playing guitar and, yeah. and, and guys playing actual guitar solos. It just was, I don't know, it was kind of refreshing, you know? Yeah, that was, that was, uh, side note, that was a great tour. Oh, they were great too. <laughs> they were, great. So they yeah. were, they were amazing. They were yeah. dialed in. They did a great job. Henley was funny and he was cool on stage. And they weren't like old rockers trying to be young again. They were old rockers being old rockers. Yeah. And it was, and it was great. They were, they were killer. They were ridiculously tight and they sounded great. And, yeah. and Deacon and, and Glenn Fry's son Deacon did a great job on stage. Yeah. And they had Vince Gill, right? When you saw Dude, him? Vince Gill was yeah. so good. Such yeah. good feel. Such, yeah. so relaxed up there. He just added so much. Yeah. Yeah, he's a great player. Oh man, yeah, good feel, relaxed, good feel. Yeah, yeah. I think he's using that little Walter amp. He is. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Th- those yeah. are those are really nice. Those are super really nice. nice. Yeah, super super nice. Well, so so tell me about uh, your music. I know you got a, you had some new singles that come out uh, this year, and that are do you plan on releasing a full CD or an well, EP? Or? To, my, my manager, my manager and I are deciding that, you know, here's the thing. A music manager will tell you just release one. I've stockpiled enough music to release a full album and a half right now, fully produced, fully done. And I kind of, I, I think it thematically hangs together, on the flip side, to be honest, most managers will say, well, you should just release one single at a time. Yeah. Over time, it gives you more chances for this, that. It's better for Spotify, better for playlists, better. And so I have just been releasing singles, yeah. and um, that's been going well. We've been getting good traction on those. But I don't know. I even did some covers recently. I did a cover of a Queen tune that we're going to release, which sounds great. We did a cover of that 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 uh, that great uh, CSN I think it's just CSN. Yeah, CSN tune, uh, Helplessly Hoping. You remember that tune. Yeah. Um, what a beautiful we, we did our own three-part harmony. That sounds really cool. And then I've released a bunch of originals. So Gideon King and City Blog is releasing single after single right now. Will we turn some of these into a full album or EP? I want to. But, you know, when I say that, I get yelled at by the people who are smarter than I am. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I want to. Maybe I have to do it by, like behind my manager's back or something. I don't know. But, like, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, I don't know, put him in another country or something during that week. But, uh, but, but yeah, so, um, so we've been releasing that. And we've been really, we've been really, you know, GKCB, which is, I guess, what we call ourselves. We've been really releasing a diverse type of stuff. On the one hand, we're releasing almost some power ballad Adele type of things, but the flip side of it, we're releasing some fusiony Steely Dan stuff. I do want to write some folk songs. You know, I have just such a great group of musicians in my band that I feel like wherever I point, whether it's whatever genre, 
or strange blend of genres I point to, they're like, yeah, no problem. And they can just nail it. Um, so it's a really beautiful, frankly, bunch of musicians with whom I can be really honest and who are really honest with me, who can look at me and say, dude, that guitar solo sucked. I think you should play another one. Um, and, and we've gotten to that, that, that point where, you know, it's like an old married couple where like, you know, like the guy walks in and the wife looks at him more than, you know, says like, no, 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 you can't wear those shoes and that tie. Go back in your room, change your shoes, put another fucking, put another fucking tie on and come out when you look decent. And, and, and it's like, and that's what, you know, that's what the band's like now. You know, we're just like, no, that's not good. And it's good to have that very free flowing creative process where everybody laughs and, and laughs at themselves and laughs at each other. And, uh, you know, some really great stuff is coming out. I'm really, I'd say for the first time in my whole music career, I'm actually proud of what I'm composing and, and putting out now. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's that's really that's really cool. You know, uh, let me. I got to ask you though, from a, a musician standpoint, you know, as a guy who writes music and releases music, you know, doesn't it suck, or do you think that it sucks the fact that you know so many people got to put you in a box and categorize what they think you are or who they think you are? Dude, it's it's so it's so. Circums the creativity is so circumscribed now yeah. that it's very frustrating. For example, just give you like an example. Not even the genre box. Like forget that. Like that's a problem for sure. But here's what's an even bigger problem. You can release a song and if the introduction doesn't have lyrics within thirty seconds, you probably won't get as many playlists. Yeah. You won't you won't get on any playlists. Like, man, tell that to like you know, Pink Floyd at the beginning of Comfortably Numb or tell that to, 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 you know, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker when they were making Asia and there were three minute long solo sections, you know, by Wayne Shorter and, 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 and so on. And, and or, 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 you know, Peter Frampton on, on, on Show Me the Way or whatever. Like it's really, it's really depressing to have these rules of commerciality which circumscribe I think a certain level of creativity that a lot of people would want, but you know, you can't swim upstream all the time. So the way I kind of blend that is I try to make some really good stuff that largely observes those rules. Yeah. Um, but then I try to make a lot of stuff where we just try to make what we think is really cool and what we think is the best. We think it's all cool, but like there's some stuff that we will make that where it's just completely like we're doing what we're going to do. And if it alienates every playlister and every person in the world, fuck it. Um, but, you know, then there's other things where we try to live within those more sort of, you know, those constraints. And I will say the one positive thing of all these constraints is it does make you like – it does make you sort of bring things to a more distilled point, meaning you do have to take things out. You have to edit more. There's a certain amount of discipline that it imposes on you that actually ends up making things more beautiful sometimes. So we, we should at some level be thankful for the jail cell that we're put in at some level. Um, now, in terms of genres, I gave up on that a long time ago. Yeah. My music my, – listen, I grew up listening to, to Hank Mobley, Wynton Kelly, Bill Evans, Renee Thomas, Art Tatum, McCoy Tyner, Seal, Neil Young, Richie Havens, Dave Mason. I mean – uh, you know, I, I love Hiatus Coyote now. I love Adele. I love, you know, I mean, I, I love Anderson Pack. I love 
you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan more than life itself. Um, so, and Pat Metheny and John. So like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and write a specific genre. I'm not going to do that. If people don't like it, then they don't like it. Like I have to, I really do like to explore different things musically and, and harmonically. And if I can't do that, might as well just leap out a window, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing that I've, I've always really disliked. And you know, and you got to blame it on the industry and radio and, you know, all these people. Listen, it's also, it's also our own fault. People yeah. just don't, de- you know, people don't demand I think the difference now, honestly, man, is that like music is a different thing to people now. A long time ago, you and I would go, we'd get our record, we'd lie on the floor, we'd read, you know, I just remember Decade, the Steely Dan thing. I'm mean, sorry, um, the Neil Young thing. And, you know, you open it up, there's his signatures, there's, he's writing each member of the band, there's notes on it. The entire album had this incredibly personal uh, feel. The whole thing was just a big expression and incredible compilation of all this guy's great, great songs. And now it's like everything is reduced to just digitized moments. And so, and so it's not as personal a thing. And music really just sort of accompanies people now in their life. It doesn't really narrate their life for them the way it used to. So it's, you know, it's a different experience. You know, music has, music has taken a different place in people's life than it used to. Yeah. That's a really good point. What you just said there is a really good point. Cause I remember, you know, being young on Fridays when I was in high school, I would walk to the record store every Friday and I would buy two albums. Of course. And I would buy those albums, not based off of typically, you know, who they were, but sometimes like when I bought my first Van Halen album, I had never even heard of Van Halen, but the cover blew me away. Exactly. You know, and so, and, and you're exactly right. You you go through every aspect of the liner notes. Every little bit of that thing is is like pure gold to you. And, exactly, you man. Know. And and that, and I remember when I bought Royal Scam by Steely Dan. I went in there and it's this cool cover with this guy lying in this burnt out city. And then it was just this incredible album. I mean, yeah. unbelievable musically rhythmically sonically it was just and it was like the lyrics and i would lie on my floor and close the door and like you know like my mother would be screaming in the other room my father would be saying come in for dinner and i'd be like you know i will i will but then i really wouldn't because i just i would have to listen to the end of the next <laughs> right. songs and right. it's like you know and then i'd hear my sisters screaming at my parents saying don't yell at him he's listening to music he loves music and like meanwhile i'd be in my room you know listening and it was just like so uh it was just such a big holistic yeah. experience. Now it's like, oh, this is my playlist for working out. This is my, you know, this is my playlist for when I commute, and this is my playlist for, you know, well, I don't know when I'm eating pizza. And 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 not everybody. There's people who still really do a deep dive and listen. I don't want to. I don't want to generalize dangerously. But music is it is occupying different real estate in the minds of fans than it was before. And like. I'm not even saying it's a bad thing or a good thing. I'm just saying it's different. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 you know, I mean, like the cover art is just this little thing you see on Spotify. There really isn't, there's no CD cover art. And, you know, I care a lot about the artwork for each one of my singles. And, you know, the other day a music manager said to me, why do you even give a shit? And he's like, you can barely see those things on Spotify. And I thought to myself, Oh God, that's kind of depressing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it is sad how it's all you know kind of gone away like that, and uh, I, I I personally miss the I still play 
the records. I still buy records. As a matter of fact, uh, recently for my my birthday, my son and my daughter, you know, pitched in and bought me a bunch of albums because oh, cool. they know that you know that's what I like. I mean, I I'm not a big fan of digital music, you know, like a lot of people aren't. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, it it just doesn't sound as warm. But yeah. you know, it doesn't sound as warm. But you know, you want to you want to get traction, you want to get gigs, you want to do stuff. You got to you know. Yeah, you, you, can't, you, you can't you can't put your music out in one tiny purest corner of the world. Otherwise, uh, you know, that leads to being uh, isolated. Yeah. So what's going to happen next for for you and the band? I know right now, you know, everything's up in the air because of, you know, this this whole virus thing and that. But, you know, we all know that it's going to come to an end at some point. Yeah, you man. Know, it has to, you know. <laughs> I know. So, I know. so what's so what's the game? Plan? I mean, I mean, here's the here's here's the thing. I mean, um, yeah, we are starting to talk to venues again about playing live, uh, but we're really using this period of of let's let's put a let's put a good spin on it. Uh, uh, we're using this period of hibernation to uh, to produce and stockpile a lot of music, and and not just to say, well, this sucks, you know. You know, we can't do anything. It's not true. We yeah. can do a lot. We can get in the studio and we can make music and we can write music. So we're, we have a ton of music. I have enough music to come out for another year and a half. And uh, every two months we'll be releasing a song. Um, and so this is an opportunity to do what I think every artist should do, which is to develop a catalog that someone can do a deep dive in. And people say, what's your goal? And my goal is to, to make it so that, you know, if, if you, you know, someone likes what they hear, that they can do a deep multiple hour dive into our catalog of music on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. And so that's what we're building on and we're working on now. And I would say that um, I am really dedicated to the idea of becoming better and better and better at producing music in in ways that hopefully are not dated. I don't want to use sounds and tricks that in three years will not be hip and not be and, and be dated. So I'm trying to use either very pure sounds, very pure instrumental sounds. And if I do sonic tricks, I want them to be so anomalous and so almost atmospheric that you know they don't they don't sound dated um, in ten years. Um, so. You know, we're trying to make a deep dive catalog. We're trying to do it so that the songs, I mean, this sounds super pretentious. You're probably going to hang up the phone when I say this, but like, you know, you probably should, let me put it this way. You probably should hang up the phone when I say this, but I want to try and make some stuff that is timeless. That doesn't sound like, you know, oh, everybody was doing that sound between that sound, between 2019, 2023. No stuff that is pure and elemental and, um, and, 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 and doesn't sound, I won't sound dated in 10 years. So that's, that's what we're working on. And, you know, we don't, you know, I don't have some huge grand plan. My grand plan is just to make more and more and more carefully crafted, really good music and hope more and more people like it so far. So good. People are liking it. We're getting more traction, but you got to keep it up. You got to keep, you got to feed the, feed the beast, um, in order to, in order to, you know, keep going, keep ascending. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what you guys do, and, and I hope you don't mind the comparison. Um, it, it and it's it's not a, a straight ahead comparison, but it it's remnant 
and it reminds me a lot of some of the stuff that Lee Rittenauer does. Oh, for sure. You know, because he brings in, you know, great singers and, you know, really talented musicians, and they just approach, you know, music in all different ways. Yeah, and that's right. it becomes a real musical experience as opposed to, you know, okay, this is Lee Rittenauer, jazz guitarist. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. And I like Lee Rittenauer, and if I'm not incorrect, he played uh, some solos for Steely Dan. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I think he might have been. No, that's Steve Kahn. But, uh, yeah, he played a few solos for Steely Dan. It might have been on Roy, on Royal on uh, Gaucho, the album uh, Gaucho. Um, but I can't remember. But, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we want to create music. That comes from a lot of different directions. I don't. I don't want to just sound like fusion guy or folk guy or whatever. I mean, listen, we just produced this Queen song, and I love it. It's over the top. We almost did it in a way that Broadway would do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 my next one, I, I want to almost produce a down and dirty tune like James McMurtry. Remember that guy, right? Yeah. And 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 I love some of the tunes that guy wrote. So like so you know just something down and dirty like that, you know. And then you know have our own style sometimes. So yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. I don't mind any comparison to Lee Rittenhouse. This guy's a solid musician and, and he's done awesome stuff. Yeah, it's just a way that he you know he he brings he brings a lot of really talented people together. Absolutely. And uh, usually what happens is pure magic, you know. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's what happens. So you're not like just seeing a guitar player. I mean, you get to hear some really great vocal parts, oh, and you get to yeah. hear some really great horn stuff, and you get to experience I mean, a really yeah, talented yeah, totally. bass. Listen, yeah. the three so the three singers I have. Yeah, they're great. I mean, Sonny Step is amazing. He's a great jazz saxophone player. He plays. He has his own. Career. Caleb Hawley is almost like a weird Rod Stewarty kind of guy, um, and then Alita Moses is just pure like perfection. She's just. She's just ridiculous precision and soul, and she's just great. So it's just, yeah, uh, yeah working with all of them is great. And my, my, my keys guy, I work with a lot of different keys guys. I've worked with Mark Broussard. You know that guy? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, he's been he's been on some of my CDs, and Mark is, man, he's got one of the best voices in, in America, you know? And yeah. so, like, uh, so all these, I've worked with Donnie McCaslin and uh, oh, James Genus from Daft Punk, and, 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 uh and, and obviously James has played with Herbie Hancock and, and everyone. And I'm actually working with a, a young guy now, an amazing singer who toured with Herbie Hancock named Michael Mayo. And he's on my, my, one of my recent releases. And so I do have the core band, but do go outside sometimes and work with other people. And yeah, the more people that are better than you are that you can bring in, the, yeah. the better, the better you look. <laughs> well, not only that, but it helps make you a better player. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. You know, you got to surround yourself with people that are, are better than you. I mean, I was told that in the very, very beginning, you know. Absolutely. And, and it's a little frightening. I mean, it's a frightening. Sometimes sometimes people be like, you know, do this or that, and I can't quite nail it. And it's a little embarrassing, but, you know, you just got to kind of like, you know, it's just kind of like walking through the, through the thorns in the woods. You just got to get a little scratched up. And yeah. when you come out, you're happy you did it. Yeah, yeah. That's all great advice, man. I'll tell you what, Gideon, I uh, I appreciate the time that you've given me today, and uh, it was definitely a pleasure uh, talking with you. It was a lot of fun. Man, so much fun. I appreciate it, and uh, I love what you're doing. It's cool as hell. I've listened to everyone. I'm going to listen to all the rest. Um, I'll probably won't listen to myself because I'll probably get bored. Um, but uh, but I'll but I'll listen to you. I'll listen to the other people who actually have something to say. Um, and uh, and cool. All right. Well, uh, let's stay in touch. And I appreciate I appreciate your time. 
All right. Thanks so much. You have a great day. Stay safe, bud. So there you go, the one and only Gideon King from New York City. Gideon King and the City Blog is the name of his band. Make sure that you're following them on all social media. And when things open up, you can go see him again. Make sure that you do. Uh, extremely talented. I want to thank Gideon so much. It was uh, it was really a joy talking to him. You know, I actually look forward to the next time that I can do that because it was a good conversation. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Make sure you're following me, Jimmy Warren, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and Jimmy Warren Radio on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren, and then also support us through Patreon at Patreon forward slash Guitar Talk. We really appreciate your support. We thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Join me on Wednesday on our regular show where my guest is going to be Carl Verhan, uh, best known as the guitarist for Supertramp. But believe me, he's a lot more than that. So until then, we will see you guys next Wednesday right here on Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. (laughs) 